Lee Kernigan there with the spirit of the Anzacs. And now to my interview with David Lavelle. Well, uh, David Lavelle, uh, welcome to Travel Riders Radio. Thank you very, very much for uh, agreeing to come on the show today and, and talk about uh, Brian Walpole on this Anzac Day. How did you yeah, come thanks, to, Graham, very much. How did you come to meet uh, uh, Brian, David? Well, I met Brian, it would have been in uh, June of 2003 when I was working for the Australians at War Film Archive and we were... Uh, filming um, a whole range of World War II veterans uh, to basically record their their memories for for posterity and also for the use of filmmakers. All of the interviews, which were very detailed, were filmed in front of green screens so filmmakers could superimpose any visuals they wanted behind the interview subject. And, and Brian was one of them. When we were setting up the camera gear in his his flat, he asked if either of us, it was a two-person team, knew any literary agents. And well, I did know a literary agent, so he went on to say that he had this manuscript about his war experiences and he was wanting to send it to a liter literary agent. So I was quite happy to, to help him, so I, I passed it on for him and I ended up joining the project afterwards as uh, the editor and collaborator with him because it um, needed a needed a bit of work to knock it into publishable shape. It was a fascinating story and he had a, a, a great way with words and quite a character which, which really showed through in the writing. So it was, it was a matter of trimming it down and keeping his voice. And so, yeah, I got to know him uh, working on on that and going in and helping him retell his his life story, so he could uh, produce a book of, of his very very unusual war experience. Yeah, he he's been described variously as swashbuckling, as a bit of a boy's mm. own adventurer. Someone else suggested that he was a gorilla uh, in the sense of the G U E gorilla, not the other one. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but he was a bit of a loner, wasn't he? Because mm, a lot of the campaigns that he was doing were in very small groups and in some instances he was the only Australian soldier in, in his group. He was working with headhunters uh, behind uh, enemy lines in Sarawak and in some cases he was literally the only Australian soldier. It was him and a dozen or so Ivan or, or Sea Dayak headhunting warriors that were helping him and so he had very few colleagues and so he had a different war experience I suppose to a lot of soldiers who bonded very strongly with a unit of men that they they went through the war with uh, and he, he really didn't have that experience. He served in two theatres of war. He was, he was in New Guinea as a commando and his independent company as the Australian commandos were called suffered very heavy casualties and a, a lot of his friends there uh, didn't come back and um, and then afterwards he found himself in Z Special Unit which was the very secretive undercover uh, unit and he had very few Australian colleagues in that as I was saying and um, yeah so he was his, his war was uh, very different from a lot of people and he, and he didn't speak about it for a long time afterwards too 
he really had to be coaxed, I think, to do his book. He eventually became very enthusiastic about it, but I think, I wasn't there when he started to write it, but I understood he did it at the urging of younger friends, much younger friends of recent years who, who got a few stories out of him and they started urging him to put it on, down on paper. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, otherwise it may have all been lost. Oh, look, he, he certainly is a great storyteller and I, mm. can't, I can't tell whether there's any embellishment in, in what mm. he did. Do you, I mean, do you think there was or did he genuinely have these experiences? Well, one thing I do know is when I was doing the manuscript, everything that I could check checked out right there's a lot that can't be checked but i never caught him out with a fabrication hmm. no i think uh, i think and, you're right there were things which i suppose he could have researched later but then there's other things that he couldn't which then when you look at certain consequences and results you, you think well it is quite plausible that that led to that but also his memories they didn't look researched either like they were correct but sometimes they they might be a little off kilter, like someone who's actually there, remembering back might be, rather than someone that's looked it up in a in a war book. And just talking to him, I did not ever feel I was in the presence of a um, of a fantasist or a, or a or a um, someone who thought the truth wasn't important, uh, that a good story was better than the truth. He didn't really have that demeanour. Mm. He didn't strike me as someone like that. But maybe there was. I don't know, maybe over time the, the, there was a few more Japanese killed than really were or there was a few more women than he went out with or something, I don't know. Yeah. But, but basically it all checked out and was very, very believable. Yeah. Now we're actually, uh, sadly, we're talking about uh, him in the past because he, he, yes. uh, he did die at, I think, the age of 86 in uh, yes. 2009. Yeah, uh, and he, but he led a great life, and it's interesting. His book is probably well named uh, "My War: Life Is for Living." Uh, he certainly had uh, life about him, didn't he? Yes, and, and "Life Is for Living" is is his little catchphrase. Yeah, he would use it in conversation as well, and it, and it's dotted throughout his book. Yes, I think in his case, it probably had a lot of meanings, and one of them would be, you know, he wasn't someone to knock back an adventure you know if, no. if, he could, if he could take the extreme option i think he would for the hell of it now before yeah. the war david it was he, he was uh, i saw a photo of him all dressed up in a suit he looked a million bucks he was in turak road mm. south yarra i've got a feeling he was in real estate i think he got into real estate after the war oh did he yeah, yeah. i i think because he he was only very young i think he was only 17 when the war broke out right he was born in 1922 he finished school early. I think he did his leaving certificate when he was younger than most. I think he was fast-tracked because he was smart. Mm. And he he reckoned that he was going to study medicine, but he was too young to enrol in the university. So, And his father worked in a bank, and I think his idea was he'd get a job in a bank and, until um, he could enrol in university and do medicine. Mm. And the war broke out. So he, I don't think he ever actually started the bank job. So he was sent to New Guinea, what, at about 18 or something? Yeah, something like that. He volunteered for the independent companies. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He was too young to enlist at the outset of the war, but by about 1942, I think he was. He enlisted very young in, in an independent company, and he passed all of the the physical tests because they were more rigorous, I think, mm. than. The, the regular army and in fact he became an instructor only a couple of months after he enlisted 
Mm, okay. Because they were trying to train up and get a lot of men and fill the independent companies quickly to do this guerrilla-type fighting in New Guinea. And the, the top ones in the, in the training were offered instructor jobs right. to try and get other people through. So he, he didn't actually have to fight. He could have stayed in Australia and spent the war as an instructor. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's uh, but he didn't. And what he, he, but he wanted to go to New Guinea, so he he actually got himself demoted so he could join a, an independent company. Oh, they wouldn't take him at rank. I think he was a. I'm not sure. I can't remember what rank he was, but he had to revert to private to get into an independent company to fight, and, and he did because he he didn't want to spend the war as an instructor. Oh, that's fascinating. I noticed he wore khaki sort of overalls. Um, he didn't appear to have any insignia, or maybe there was a parachute uh, badge or something. But he, mm. literally, he was almost in civvies, but well, they were khaki. It could be a photo that you're thinking when he was training with Z Special Unit. Right. And it mightn't have been full uniform. Ah, well, but okay. The, the, the Z Special Unit, uh, they, they had training in remote locations, including Fraser Island in Queensland. Yes. And, and they'd go there and they'd, and they'd just drop them in some part of the island and they have to live off the land. Uh, they have quite extreme training. But he yeah. told me that as arduous as his work in Borneo was and all the Z unit, he, he said it was nowhere near as tough as New Guinea and and having survived his New Guinea experience, he was well placed to put up with Borneo. He said it was he said conditions were nowhere near as tough in, in, in the jungle in Borneo as they were in New Guinea. That's interesting. He contracted malaria up in New Guinea, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah, and he was ruled medically unfit. I think he somehow he, he, he got himself into a position where he enlisted in the Air Force, right. even though he was medically unfit for the Army. Right. He got himself, I don't know how he spun it, but he, he while he was medically unfit for the Army, he, he managed to get into the Air Force. And that's how he got back, got yeah, back and to then, fighting. And then, yeah, I'm a bit hazy on that story, but then Z Special Unit got in touch with him because they were l looking for people with his sort of experience and I think they offered to overturn his medical discharge or, or right. unfitness. Yeah, he, he suffered from malaria. I, I don't think he, he got full-blown malaria until he came back on leave in Melbourne. Oh, okay. but, but yeah, he was hospitalised with malaria for quite a long time. Yes, he writes about being out at Heidelberg Repat. Yeah, yeah, um, he, spent, he spent a long time recovering. and Dating he, all the he, nurses, maybe. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's got a, a quite a few yarns of partying on with the um, female population. Right. David, uh, I'm enjoying our chat. We're going to take a little break and just play a song. And uh, then when we come back, I want to talk about how he gets to Kuching because it's quite remarkable, the story he told me right, about okay. uh, his arrival in Kuching. On this special Anzac Day edition of Travel Writers Radio, I'm speaking with journalist David Lavelle about Z Special Forces soldier Brian Walpole, who fought behind enemy lines alongside Borneo headhunters.